Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. It's good to see you all, and uh, again, I'm so grateful to, uh, to, to welcome you and to, to be able to learn together. Thanks, bro. Uh, and, and again, if you're kind of new, exploring, you're watching online, a special welcome to you. Where We've been kind of tracking together for the past few weeks in this teaching series, trying to think more carefully about this idea of convictions. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, like you think of that word, a lot of things come to mind, we all have convictions. If you're a parent, you know this, it's so important for us to model what it means to have convictions for our kids. We want our kids to, to have certain convictions, we worry about peer pressure, we don't want them to follow what other people do, uh, you know, but the Bible actually just pushes us just a bit further to say, hey, convictions have to be more than just good ideas or things that you like, they have to be shaped by the Bible, and they actually draw us to a place where we understand that we have to grow in our convictions. And so if you've been here, you know this. We kind of encourage you to say, you know what, it's not enough to just have convictions. It really takes a kind of maturity to say, God, if my convictions need to change, if my convictions need to mature, if I need to grow, would you just help me do that? Everybody who ever followed Jesus had to change in their convictions. They had to think differently about what they believed about God, and they had to start to believe what Jesus said about God. And so their convictions were being changed and they were growing. And so we hope that we're learning how to do that. We're learning how we grow in our convictions. And also what we learn is that sometimes it's easier to have the wrong kind of convictions. We have convictions that we're like sure about, this is the right way, and you're like, maybe that's off, maybe I need to grow in that, maybe I just picked this up when I was growing up and it's not like good enough anymore. Uh, years ago I read the story of like convictions gone terribly wrong. And it was a story about a pastor And it was this pastor in the U.S., and he, was con he had this conviction that because he was a Christian, you know, no matter what he did, God was going to protect him. He could do whatever he wants. And this is a story, actually, so famous that he got a show on National Geographic. And he was called the Snake Pastor. I was like, I want a title like that. Huh? It would be good. I'm a snake pastor. And, and he would hold snakes, and he would just have a show and prove that he had a conviction that God was with him, and he died. And you're like, I think if we were there, we'd be like, I want that kind of conviction. I want that kind of idea of victory. And somebody set off the alarm. <laughs> it should go off 30 seconds. Or you want to, I'm going to beat Julio to it. Conviction. Got it. Okay. So, back to convictions. If you get bit by a snake and the alarm goes off, it's great. <laughs> But this pastor had read a passage in the Bible that kind of hinted at the fact that you could do this. I have the passage for you. Here's what it says. You can look at the passage. Go to the next slide. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. 
And these signs will accompany those who believe. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Some of you are like, that's really in the Bible? A Bible study on the Gospel of Mark coming in a few weeks. Just show up. We'll talk about how sometimes you could read the Bible. You can actually use the Bible to develop convictions, and you realize, wait a second, maybe there's a deeper way to understand how to live this conviction. Maybe there's a deeper way of understanding convictions. And today I want to talk a little bit about how we become people who learn to let the Bible shape our convictions, but we also have to learn how to grow in our understanding of the Bible. Or else we have certain convictions, and when I was growing up, I would think like, you know, how do I learn to understand the Bible better, and how do I live as a person who's shaped by the authority of Scripture? Because I want that. That's important. But also I need help to understand the Bible and to grow in my understanding of the Bible. And some of you maybe are here, and you're still kind of exploring that. You're still trying to figure that out. You know, the Bible is a very complicated book. If you're young and you're starting to read the Bible, you're like, I need help to read the Bible. And you could be really excited, but if nobody kind of journeys with you, or if you start at the wrong book, like if you open up your Bible at the book of Leviticus, you will be discouraged. You'll be like, I don't know, goats? Do we buy goats? Do we buy chicken? What do we buy? Right? You need somebody's help. But the Bible is the book that shapes how we have convictions. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody who was a person who was so committed to the Bible. They had such deep convictions, but they were about to learn that even in our convictions, God must convict us. Okay, I want to talk to you about this idea of what it means that we are people who welcome when God convicts us. Maybe you never heard that word. The word conviction has the idea of convincing in it, but it also has the idea of being convicted. If you've never heard the word convicted, you know, maybe you think about jail, about somebody who's convicted, they go to prison. The biblical idea of being convicted is being sensitive to when God, by His Spirit, highlights or brings to your attention something that is wrong. Something that you sense maybe is not the way you should be living. And one of the beautiful things about the Bible, it says that the Spirit of God kind of helps us to understand how He convicts us to live a certain way. Maybe you've experienced this before. That one of the great gifts of God is to help us to be people who not only live the right way, but who desire for God to teach us and to convict us. Now, if you've ever been convicted of God's presence and His power, you know that sometimes it's not like a nice thing, right? A lot of people, when they hear the word convict, they hear like, somebody's going to shame me or somebody's going to have a me. It's like going to the principal's office. Anyone? (laughs) Nobody thinks the principal calls you and you're like, this is going to be a great day. Nobody thinks that. Or if the boss, your boss sends you an email and said, I want to see you first thing in the morning, you're like, is it good or is it bad? I don't know, right? We sometimes have this view of being convicted that way. It's kind of how our culture shapes the way we deal with growing or maturing. So let me just kind of ask you to stop thinking of being convicted in that way. Because the Bible says that the person who convicts us is a loving father. Okay, it changes everything. And the person who convicts us, the power of the Spirit in us that we're we're convicted of something is not only because God wants us to understand that something is true or not true, like false, right, or a lie, but also that when God convicts us, He wants us to to see, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, He wants us to see how His ways are always good. A lot of times people miss that. A lot of times when people think of conviction, they think, do what's right, don't follow people who do what's wrong. But they never take the next step, which is when God tells us to do what's right, what is right is what is good for us. And a lot of times when you don't get those two together, God becomes like a judge 
who gives you rules to live by. If you don't follow them, you're in trouble. And if you don't do them right, he's going he's to punish you. A lot of people grow up with that view of God. Instead of understanding part of the way God convicts us is to want to live right, but also to believe that the right things are good things. They're the good things for us. And he stirs us in that way. I want to help you see this as we go through the story of a person who's going to experience God's convicting power. And it begins right near the beginning of the season of Easter. It's like a few years and Jesus is resurrected and the church is growing. And, and I want to kind of take you to a book in the Bible called the book of Acts. We're going to look at some sections in the book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, the book of Acts can be a hard book to read in the Bible because it's just a lot of narratives. It's a lot of stories. So as you're reading it, you're like, hey, it's beautiful, but knowing when to stop or to be like, okay, how, what's God trying to teach me out of this? I want to show you the time in the book of Acts as the church is growing, the church develops a conflict, okay? If you've never heard of churches that have conflicts, they're right in the Bible, okay? Churches with a real conflict. And I want to read a passage of what this conflict is about because it's a very unique conflict. I'm going to read it for you and then I'll explain it to you so maybe it'll help you understand the book of Acts better. This is what we're told in the book of Acts right at the beginning of chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jew, the word Hellenistic means Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained against the Jewish-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. So let me just connect the pieces for you. Now, this is a time where if you're taking notes in your Bible, you might be like, Hellenistic Jews, Hebraic Jews, what does that even mean? This is a time when the church is growing. Okay? If you know anything about growth and if you know anything about blessing, is that God's blessings come with conflicts. God's blessings come with new challenges. If you don't believe me, have kids. <laughs> Lots. Have a lot of kids. This great blessing comes with a new conflict. You're like, okay, what are we going to do? And in the book of Acts, we see this beautiful moment where God's blessing, in a sense of a church that's growing, kind of brings to the surface a problem, an administrative problem. Who's taking care of what? How are we doing the potluck? Who's going to care? All the things we worry about, okay, as a church. Who's, who's giving? How, uh, who's tracking the giving? Who, so it's not like hard to understand that the earliest Christians are celebrating that God is at work and they have to deal with a problem. And as they work through this, they realize they need someone that they trust. And the Bible tells us as they pray and discern that they'll pick Stephen to kind of step up full of the Spirit to help manage this problem. You know, every time I read this passage, I pray for Stephens today. Not just Stephens as men, but people full of the Spirit who are ready to say, God, use me. I'll do it. There's a challenge in the church. There's a Christ, like you're blessing us. You're at work. You're doing some new things. And the only way we can keep seeing you work is by us stepping up and serving. Sign me up. And yet many times, that's not our posture right? We're like, it's great that somebody's doing that. Oh, it's great that somebody's watching our kids. Oh, it's great that somebody learned how to play guitar when they were 10. It's great. I love that. Maybe this is a great season for us to do what the earliest Christians will do is where they'll say, if Jesus is really alive, I think we all have to find our place in this story. And if you're taking notes, I want you to circle Stephen's name because everybody would have understood that Stephen was not a Jewish name. Stephen is a, is, is a Hellenistic name in the ancient world. 
Again, Hellenistic is a, not a scary word. It means someone who's shaped by the Greek culture. And that means people who are not Jewish are becoming followers of Jesus. Do you know how great that is? Like, think of someone you know that you think would never become a Christian. Never, 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 never. Ton ami à côté. Whatever. Your neighbor. Someone who's like from another religion. Someone who's an atheist. Well, in the book of Acts, all these people are like, Steve, the Greeks, the Greek Jews, them, they're saying yes to Jesus. Oh, yeah. And not only that, they're kind of serving with us. Oh, yeah. You know how tense it would have been to have Stephen working and serving and helping the church with someone who was a not Greek Jew? It's like basically taking Sicilians and trying to convince them that they should be like the other Italians. <laughs> have you ever tried that? I'm so special, I'm Sicilian, nobody cares. You like that? Happy Mother's Day. Okay. No, it's like any culture. Think of any culture. It's not only Italians. It could be Fr French. Where are you from? I'm from Quebec. Well, that's not real French. Okay. Okay, not real French. Whatever. Think of any group you want to. There's always the pure. They're, they're, the, be they're the best of the best of the best in the group. Conflict. And now you put them together helping for the potluck. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get so many emails. Okay. We read the book of Acts, and it's just a beautiful book. Oh, the Lord is at work. 3,000 are getting baptized. And as a pastor, I read this. I'm like, I hope we understand the conflict that challenges the work because even God's blessings do not matter if we don't mature in our convictions. Write that down somewhere. Even the greatest blessings of God will not matter in your home, in your life, in your work if you do not mature and grow up in your convictions. Because you'll see a blessing as a challenge of something you don't want. And Stephen is there. And the Christians are there. And God's at work and new things are happening. And Stephen feels the, the blessing of like, God's using me. God's using me. This is amazing. God's going to use me to serve with the earliest disciples. God's going to use me to help the widows. I'm there. Which widows didn't get food this week? Which widow? Give me their name. I'm going to go bring them food myself. Think about how beautiful and Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit, the blessings of God, God at work. And we know that not everybody thinks that's a good idea. Some people think this is a bad thing. What do you mean this church is growing? What do you mean like more people are starting to become disciples of Jesus? And we know that as we read the book of Acts, I'm just going to help you along here. You can this week find some time and read through some of these chapters. You'll see this is that leaders start to think about how to slow down and shut down this move of God. They're like, okay, this is too confusing. There's too many things going on here. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to serve, ready to be used of God, is thrown into one of the most challenging times of his life. I wish I knew this when I was younger. I wish I understood this passage better when I was younger. Because when I was younger, I equated filled with the Spirit, filled with the power of God, serving in the church with blessing and success. Anyone else? Actually, I think between us, I think that's why I became a Christian. Like I was young and I'm like, this is the right, this is the truth. And when you say yes to God, things are going to work out. They do work out, but they work out in a very bumpy way. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen can preach. He's preaching revival sermons. Stephen is ready to go. 
He understands the Greek culture. He understands the Jewish culture. He's serving. He's administrative. And now he's in a meeting, a big meeting, a meeting that he's going to pray about a lot. And the meeting is with the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the people who are like, hey, hey, well, wait a second. Tell us again. You follow a guy called, what's his name? Jesus. Jesus who? Like Jesus of Nazareth. That guy. You mean the guy we killed? Yeah, by the way, he's not dead anymore. We forgot to tell you. He's not. What do you mean he's not dead? Dead people don't come back to life. Seems like, oh, he's alive, all right. And you can read this. It's so profound. Stephen is going to, like, start to preach. And if we had time and it wasn't Mother's Day and some of you were not complaining that Dom's too long, I would go through the sermon. But you can read the sermon. Okay, you read the sermon that Stephen is going to share. He's going to talk about it. He's going to say, this is what's happening. Here's how God's at work. And you're going to see Stephen's conviction that Jesus is alive. People are going to be like, that guy's for real. And there's another person in the crowd who also is not sure about what to do with Stephen. He has his own convictions that we're told. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices, and they rushed him, Stephen dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Filled with the spirit, Stephen is getting stoned. Meanwhile, the witness lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Beginning of the church. Do you know how quickly the church should have shut down after this moment? Right? Think about it. Like, all you need is a crisis to make people think like, ah, I wasn't that into this guy. I, I'm, I like Jesus, like his teaching is nice, but I'm not like, I'm not going to die. Imagine you go home after this moment where you're like, they killed Stephen? And likely he's not the last person to die? Just can you think of a crisis that maybe has hit us that have made us be like, ah, I'm not into that. Anyone? Maybe something called COVID? <laughs> like a crisis to make us feel whether we're really committed to the ways of God? I mean, we are so, like, blessed in our culture that if we tell people, like, we're changing the time of our service, you're going to stop coming to church. Imagine if we tell you one of our leaders was stoned. You'd be like, I'm not going to be back for a while. I'm going to take, take a break. This is a moment that should have crushed the church. And so I want to tell you two pictures that you would see. If you're taking notes and you're reading your Bible, you might feel this. Two people with two types of conviction. You have Stephen's conviction and you have Saul's conviction. Saul is a leader, and I just put them on a slide for you. It's very simple. Just the types of conviction. There's a lot of different ways that people have convictions in the Bible. Stephen's conviction is built on an idea that faithfulness to God should be a bridge to help other people find Jesus. Okay? If you want to write that down, it'll help you. Faithfulness to God should be a bridge and Saul's conviction is that faithfulness to God should be a battle. Okay, it's that simple. One is that there's a faithfulness to stay true to the convictions and that people would hear this and understand that God is making room for them. Him as a Greek, him as someone outside of the story of Israel that other people should be welcomed in. And Saul's like, no, 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 no. That's not how we read the Bible here. Saul decides. We can talk about him. He's a spiritual leader at the time. He's a Bible teacher. He's respected. I mean, he was, think about it. Like, he's the kind of person where people put their coats down at his feet. I wouldn't mind that one so in a while, by the way. <laughs> Some of you are getting low on the respect level. Let's pick it up a little. 
Dom's a, no, no, Dom is Dom. <laughs> Imagine, you show up here and people are putting their coats down at the stage. You'd be like, this is a weird place. It's a weird place. Everybody knows Saul is a big deal because he's a man of conviction. And his convictions cause things to happen. He speaks and people act. So, you read the book of Acts. We're learning about Jesus at work. And we get a chance to say, what kind of person do I tend to be? I tend to be a person who's always understood convictions as a battle cry. Be very careful that people who don't learn to grow in their convictions develop the kind of attitude where the Bible becomes a weapon to keep people out. But people who grow in their convictions read the scriptures and let the Bible shape them in a way that other people would know that there's a place for them to come in. See the difference? Both of those are conviction. Both of those are postures of firm truth on the ways of God. But a tweak is needed. And Saul is someone that you're like, what is happening? What's going to happen now? And so may we be a church. May we be those who have deep conviction that when people see us, they feel that our lives are a bridge that they can walk, walk over my story if it helps you get to Jesus. Come and walk with me as I learn, as I sacrifice, as I model loving Jesus. Because I promise you this, the world is filled with people who will give us conviction only as a battle. Only as a way of saying, this is the way it's going to be. And you know what? You don't need the world for that. Just read your Bible. It was already happening in the Bible. And if that wasn't enough, this is what happens next. Here's the next really just shut down the church day. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. That's some serious conviction. Can you imagine the, the feeling of being like, Jesus, like, we need you to answer our prayers. We need you to do something now that is so beyond us because Saul has decided that he's going to destroy everything of what we thought you were doing here. Now, for some of you, maybe this might be confusing. Saul in the Bible is also called Paul. Okay, so I don't want you to be confused about this. Sometimes it can be hard to understand. And Saul, remember, is the name of the first king of Israel. So anybody who's naming their son Saul has a kind of vision of the kind of person they want him to be. Okay? And Saul is usually his Hebrew name, which he'll use when he's with Jewish people, and Paul is his Romanized name, which will become more common as the Bible goes on. Okay? Paul and Saul is the same person with two different names. That was very, very common in the Bible times, depending on the context you were in. Okay, today, maybe we do that with an accent. You hear a person, you know, they'll call your name with a different accent, depending where you are. But Saul has a conviction that this Stephen guy and his preaching has got nothing on me. What a great warning, huh, for all each of us? That you can hear someone preach, you can hear someone even die for their commitment to Jesus, but your heart could be so hard that instead of you being open to taking the next step to learn about Jesus, you decide you're going to kill more people who follow Jesus. Each of us, each one of us is prone to seasons 
where things happen to us where our hearts become hardened. Our hearts become, in a sense, our spiritual lives become dry. And in a sense, then we kind of live on the fact that like, well, we're Christians. We've been at this for a long time. Paul, Saul, in no way thought he was being unfaithful to the story of Israel. He thought he was doing the right thing. This is the right thing you, to do. Because he had read the scriptures of Israel and he had an interpretation of the scriptures of Israel and he had decided this is how you interpret the Torah. That outsiders are not allowed to come here and change the story of Israel. Isn't this great that the Bible lets us live in this mess? It lets us live in the like, what would we have done? Would you have been on Saul's side? Or would you have been on Stephen's side? The truth. You go home with your kids. You're like, hey kids, we're not going to that church anymore. Hey kids, we don't believe that anymore. Or do you say, no, no, this is the right thing. God, you are going to be with us. And this is an important indication for us as well that we know early on in the early church that Christians are meeting in homes and Paul is able to know where those homes are. Okay, Saul is able to, to know where these Christians are meeting. And you may have never thought about this or to know why. One of the ways that they would have known how to understand where the followers of Jesus are is that they have started to either sing or celebrate the story of Israel and make Jesus the center of that story. And Saul would have known, wait, wait, those are the people we got to shut down. Those are the people that have to be silenced. Now, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about this because it's important. I'm just going to pull out for just 30 seconds, okay? That our convictions are so shaped by moments of suffering that we can miss this in our lives. Okay, it's easy to read this and to be like, wow, I hope... I hope God helps them. Like, I hope the church is not destroyed. And to miss, like, just like this passage of the Bible should be written in blood so that it doesn't bypass us. That, like, people are starting to, like, give their lives and being put in jail. I mean, when we see it somewhere else in the world, like Ukraine, we're like, oh, that's so bad. But when we read it in the Bible, it becomes like this old book. I don't know. Did this really happen? Yeah, it happened. That we can forget that in moments of deep suffering, many of us, develop convictions. As a pastor, I've seen this happen all, like hundreds of times, that if someone has hurt you, okay, you will develop a conviction of that group of people. We do this in relationships. If you've been in a relationship and someone has hurt you, you then develop a conviction about the kinds of people in a relationship that you're not going to like, or the kinds of people you hope your kids never marry. It becomes like embedded in us because wounds that are not healed always become the basis for warped convictions. Wounds that are not touched by God, where God heals those wounds and says, hey, hey, don't let this moment of pain skew the way you see what I'm about to do next. Don't let this moment of pain skew the way you see other people. This is something we really have to practice because when we are hurt, Okay? We always remember wrongly. When we are hurt, we always remember the worst of another person. And if you don't believe me, just learn about the history of Quebec. Learn, think about your own life. When somebody hurts us, we remember. Like, I, I do this in my life in silly ways. You know, a few years ago, somebody, like, hit me when I was driving. Like, they, they hit me in the back of my car, like, and, and right away, you know? Maybe this is me, confession moment. I'm like, like, I was stopped. 
who would hit me like this. And as soon as the, the person got out of the car, I already started. Of course they would. Of course someone like this would hit me. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Come to the Bible study. I'm still not telling you. Okay. Because you're just waiting to say, me too. I hate those people too. And then, you know, we groups, groups of people that we don't like them. Somebody hurts me. And then I called the insurance. Guess what the insurance did? Oh, boy. Well, we're not sure. How many of you like insurance companies? <laughs> Nobody? Come on. No, no. Of course not even one of you. Because you have a story. And you've decided how it's going to go. How many of you know somebody who makes fun of Christianity and hates Christianity? Right? What's your natural posture? Ah, those people. They're being used by the devil. Oh, those people. Put those people blank. Put anyone in there. But if you need help to put somebody's name in the blank, think of a person who hurt you. And then put them in the blank. Oh, those, ki those people's kids? Let me tell you. Oh, let me tell you. I heard that once they dated somebody and it didn't go well. But I don't know the rest. Who told you? I can't remember. Of course you can't remember. Okay. That's good. That's going to help the church. But all I need to tell you, all I need to tell you, I'm in a hundred of those meetings, okay. All I need to tell you is that each of us needs to pay attention to convictions we have that were shaped by wounds. And we need to bring those to Jesus regularly. To say, Jesus, if you do not heal this, I will always frame things in a way that uh, this doesn't allow me to see how you could be at work. In a way that's bigger than my pain, bigger than my woundedness, and it's not minimizing the woundedness. But this passage here, if you're reading your Bible, should say woundedness. Nobody in this story, nobody whose parents are in jail are thinking, I can't wait till God starts to save people like Saul. I can't wait till they become believers. Nobody's praying for that. People are praying. They're asking God to work. And somebody's praying that you know the story, right? That Saul, Paul, is about to get paid a visit by the head of, by the head of his church. He's about to. So we're told. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Lord was just a term of respect. Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Let's go home right now. Just a moment. The moment of like, are you kidding me? I was so sure about my convictions. I was so sure that I was doing the work of Yahweh from the Torah. I was trained in reading the Bible. I know exactly how to spot people who are not faithful to the ways of Torah. And I'm wrong. I was wrong. Stephen is dead. People are in prison. Saul can't see. What a mess. This should have shut the church down, like the whole thing. And can I just remind you how important it is that we understand that when the church is persecuted, it's Jesus who says, you are my people, and I, I'm watching over you. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. We don't just show up at church again. Like, like it's like, oh, why would we go to church? Jesus is saying, no, no. When my people gather to worship me, that is them being 
me, my body. Learning to go into the world and love the world. So guess what? Some of you know this. Saul is about to learn what that means. Saul is about to learn what it means for him to be convicted and to have a new kind of conviction. There's a big difference between people who have convictions and have never been convicted of God's power. Big difference. One is shaped by a heart of humility and another one is shaped by a heart of pride. Because when you're convicted by God's spirit, it always makes you humble. Always. It always makes you humble because you realize, I didn't have the whole perspective. I didn't understand this fully. I, I need convictions, but they need those convictions to be shaped by humility. I still need convictions. And our world teaches us that you should have convictions and never show any signs that you might need to learn more because or else who's going to believe those convictions? In the Bible, one of the first people to feel what it's like to have their convictions transformed, shifted, will have to be convicted. What areas of your life need to be convicted of God's power? What areas of your life just need to be tweaked and mature and grow and understand in a new way? Which ways? You know, because Saul's conviction, in a sense, his deep being convicted and his new convictions, we have most of the New Testament in our Bible. Saul has no idea that God is about to use him to give us most of the New Testament. As he writes to churches who are going to have their own kinds of problems. This week, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a devotional or you're not sure where to read your Bible, I mean, just, just kind of open up the book of Acts. In the next few weeks, we're going to take you to the book of Acts again. We're going to help you understand the power of the Spirit at work. So I'm giving you like a bit of time, like you have extra time. Just open it up and just start going through this. And just pay attention to how God is at work. And you think about this passage, how powerful it is for Jesus to say, Saul, now go ahead and I will show you what's coming next. That bothers me so much. Anyone? Any like revenge type people in the room? Because I wanted to say, hey, Saul, you killed Stephen, now you're going to die. You think you can destroy my church? Now I'm going to destroy you. That's what you wanted to say. You're like, what? Don't tell me, don't tell me, Saul. Jesus, don't tell me you're going to change his heart and then use him. Here I come. Ready, ready? That's, that's what God does. God gives us mature, growing convictions where what we thought before gets corrected and we become humble, and we come back to the story, and we say, Jesus, you are the way and the life, and we want people to see our lives as a bridge, not as just a battle moment to win some debate. Saul is about to learn in the most painful way what it means to suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul is about to learn what it's like that he now will spend years of his life in prison. Paul is about to learn what it means that there's a different way of having convictions. There's a different way of trusting God and of modeling a humility of wanting to be mature in the faith. Now, before then, I want to give you something. It's a special tool. It's, it's a tool that might help you. And I didn't invent this tool, but it's a tool that, I mean, the Bible doesn't give you all the details of it, but it's something that was kind of shaped in the story of Christianity, and it's one of the best things I've ever read or learned about to help us understand how we make decisions out of our convictions, okay? How many of you ever heard the song, Hark the Herald, the Angel Sing? You know that song? We only sing at Christmas time? Okay, the writer of that song, his name is John Wesley. John and Charles Wesley are these famous hymn writers, preachers, 
Some of you have maybe heard their names. They're like amazing, amazing writers. And, and so he, years ago, came up with this idea of how to help people kind of make decisions in their life built on conviction, but also built on discernment, learning how to trust God. Because so many decisions you and I make in our lives, there's no verse in the Bible for them. You're like, oh, what high school should my kids go to? What's a good age to start dating? What's, you're like, oh, uh, no, okay, there's no, nothing there. I don't know, right? So we need to have convictions, and then we need a mechanism of discernment. And I want to give you this kind of, it's just a picture, it's more complicated, but I'm going to give it to you in a picture, okay, so you can see it. And this is what Wesley says. Okay, that each of us, when we develop convictions and when we grow as parents, as co-workers, as husbands and wives, that we might want to use this gift of understanding our, our convictions through like a, a layered approach. One is, is this foundational on the scriptures? Is it clear by the Bible? Simple. And if there's things in, the, in your life that you need to do that are simple, like, am I cheating or not cheating? Well, the Bible's clear. Don't cheat. Right? It's very simple. But most of our challenges then get more complicated. It's not that simple. And then he says, what we need then is tradition. By this, he means the history of the church. Throughout history, how have Christians maybe dealt with this problem? Because by the way, we've been around for a few thousand years. Christianity didn't start when you became a Christian. Right? Like, so we can say, wait a second, this is kind of complicated. How might other Christians in other times and in other denominations work through this challenge? Can I learn from them? Then Wesley will say, God has given us a brain. Surprise. Okay, it's in the Bible. And not only has God given us a brain, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that when we become Christians, what does God do with our mind? He renews it. So when we welcome God's spirit, we are welcoming him renewing our mind. And I say this all the time. Our staff is probably tired of hearing me say this. But God renews your mind because he expects you to use it. Okay? That's why he renews it. Or else he'd be like, you're a Christian. I'm going to take your brain away. Never use it. That's not what happens. Not in the Bible, it doesn't. Okay? And the last thing is our experience of life. Each of us have different experiences. Our culture, our age. So Wesley said, listen... Maybe one of the things we need to learn is to have convictions that are built on the scriptures, but also then that they honor what it means that God's created us as complex human beings. And you know what Wesley will say what's so beautiful about this, why these are so important? Because each one of these is a gift from God to us. Each one of this is a gift from God to be fully alive in our convictions. And you'll notice this in your life. I do. That depending who you are, the bottom one stays the same, but the other three move around. You know, if, if you're older and you have more experience, you bring more experience sometimes to someone who maybe doesn't have as much experience. So you're helpful to someone else. I wanted to give you this because a lot of times when I meet with people, they wrestle like, how come we never learned how to discern what's next or what to do next? And this maybe might help you grow in your convictions, in your understanding. This obviously is someone who's trusted as a Christian and has given us this gift of thinking this way, of growing in this way. I'm going to have the band come back up and I'm going to leave you one last thing. Stephen, Saul, the convictions of a new church, the suffering of brothers and sisters in their homes in prison, have no idea what's going to happen next. Everybody's waiting for God to, to answer their prayers. And we are left with the, the grace of reading the scriptures and saying, God, make us people who are open to times when you will convict us the way you convicted Saul. When you will teach us to see things in a different way that we didn't understand before. And near the end of his life, Paul 
will write to another leader in the church. And he's going to say something so profound about his life. It's one of the few times in the Bible where Paul himself says to us what was going on in his heart. Okay? And as the band just plays, I'm just going to read this for you and maybe think about your own life. He says this. Even though I I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I put my name there. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul writes this, and I, and I read this this week, and I was like, this is so profound. And as I was praying, I, I had a thought that might help you, okay, this week. This is Paul saying to us what was happening in him when Jesus opened his eyes to understand in a new way. If 50 years from now, somebody wanted to know what happened to you when Jesus opened your eyes, what would you say? What would you leave for them to read? Like my mom's here and I think of mothers today. Mothers, if you left a few verses for your great, great, great grandchildren to read, what would you say about what happened to you when you were growing in your convictions and learning to follow Jesus in a deeper way. Fathers, what would you say? You know one of the greatest exercises you can do is to sit down and just write down a little bit of your story. We often do this when people are getting baptized and then we never do it again. We're just like, ah, something happened. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Okay, gotta go. Like, we don't don't know. Saul's like, Timothy, Timothy, let me tell you. There was a time that Even in my convictions, I was so ignorant. Even in my convictions, I couldn't really understand how God was doing some new things I couldn't see. So he invites us. And he says, just be open that God's likely going to do that to you as well. It's going to help you grow and understand some things in a new way. And as I was doing that this week, I had a deep moment of of conviction in my own heart. Years ago, I worked at a church. And the pastor of that church hurt me in a really, really bad way. Scarred me for a long time. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, every time I hear that person's name, even if another person is called that pastor's name, I always am like, oh, that guy. Ah, oh, that guy, that guy. And I had a moment where God's like, hey, let, let me heal that wound. Let me heal that. Or you'll, you'll live in, in a new conviction that is not rooted in your life being a bridge to others but you'll live in the conviction of like them, those people. We do it with denominations, we do it with co-work, we do it with everyone. But maybe today is the day where God says, just let me show you what it's like to have different kind of convictions. If you don't believe me, I left you Saul of Tarsus. I left you Paul's letters. Read them. See what I did to him. I'm going to have a stand, and I asked the, the team to just close off with good, good father for us. Because I wanted us to remember that even in moments of deep convicting, it's a good father that's doing the convicting. It's a loving God that is correcting and shaping and asking us to surrender things in our lives that he needs to heal. And from there, a different way of convictions emerge. Let's sing this before we close. Thousand story.
Spirit will find us and he will convict you. You will either welcome that in a way that leads to growth or you will resist it. And if you don't believe me, the Bible's full of stories of people who resisted the Spirit's conviction. 
So we get a chance today to ask God to heal the wrong ways that we trust our world's version of conviction. Passion, power, win. The Bible says, no, no, no. Be a bridge. Be a bridge that people would be convinced that Jesus is Lord. Be that. Maybe some of you are here, you're listening online, and you don't know what it's like to say yes to the Jesus who's Lord. We'd love to talk to you and help you just maybe make sense of what you're feeling inside. To walk with you and to help you kind of take that next step. So would you just don't run off, send us a note, just speak to us. We know what it's like when it feels messy and unsure. Let me just pray for us before we go this morning. Father, thank you for how you're already at work. We need a generation to watch us be your church. We need to remember that sometimes the way we act, the way we live are the things that are destroying your church. And Jesus, that bothers you the way it bothered you at the beginning. So today, we ask that you would convict us, convict me of the things in my life that need correction, maturity, so that I would be a bridge, that we would be a bridge for people trying to understand what it means to trust you with everything. As we go now, Holy Spirit, would you continue to work deeply in us reminding us of our good Father who loves to restore and to heal. I pray for anyone who's listening to this, who needs an area of deep pain to be healed, who needs years of wrong conviction, convictions to be corrected, could you just bring healing there? And would they remember this Mother's Day as a special day where you did that? Thank you for our mothers. Thank you for the joy of being able to celebrate them as we go now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, we love you all. We'll see you soon. God bless everyone. Have a good Sunday.